<laughs> 52 Sketches. Welcome to 52 Sketches, a podcast about creativity and creative practices. Here's your host, Rob Head. Welcome to the 52 Sketches podcast. We are here to talk about creativity and living a creative life, practices and habits, strategies for making wonderful things. Today, we are going to speak with multidisciplinary artist Philip Daniel. <laughs> yes. Philip is an actor, a writer, a singer, songwriter, voiceover actor, living and working in Los Angeles. As Philly Ocean, he is the frontman for yacht rock cover band Yachtly Crew. And among other things, he is currently writing a feature film. That's right. Uh, so, well, welcome, Philip. How you doing, Robert? Glad to be uh, here. I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, July 2020 as we record this, and uh, the coronavirus pandemic has affected nearly every aspect of the work of creative professionals. So um, I want to start by saying person to person, you know, thank you for yeah. taking the time to chat about creativity and, and check in about how you're, how you're feeling. And as a, you know, how, are you well and happy? And You know, I am, I am doing well. Thanks for asking. Um, you know, I, I think honestly, I, I have to say I feel incredibly grateful. Uh, I feel very fortunate um, through all of this. Uh, as you said, I'm a multi-hyphenate. So in addition to my artistic endeavors, I come from a hardworking blue-collar family. For the last decade, I've uh, had several other little side jobs and businesses and side hustles and whatnot, which is also kind of the norm, in particularly in Los Angeles, but I think sure. more and more throughout the country. And yeah. so um, while it has been a tremendous loss uh, in terms of revenue and income, uh, since we can't play shows, there are no auditions happening for any uh, TV shows or films really at all right now. Um, and uh, mm. one of my other day jobs was at a restaurant at the uh, legendary Chateau Marmont Hotel in Hollywood. Um, you know, I've basically had three income streams just mm. completely dry up. Right. Wow. Thank goodness for the, you know, the uh, unemployment. Thank goodness mm. for the stimulus. Um, you know, and thank goodness for the occasional person that needs somebody fixed and needs a handyman because that's also one of the things that I do. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a, there are a lot of challenges that you just mentioned, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. Um, have any new doors opened because of these strange times? You know, I, I cannot yeah. stop thinking about the opportunities that have been present mm -hmm. in this. You know, I, I, I think <laughs> I, I can imagine that you probably you run a pretty brisk clip in your life, right? Like you're yeah, probably right. pretty much on the go all the time. Mm -hmm. My schedule is, is normally keeps me on the borderline of completely, uh, being overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I've really actually enjoyed having a little bit less to do now. Mind you, that just means that I'm like still really, really busy. I'm just not like almost breakneck busy. Right. Um, so I've really utilized the extra time that I've had to infuse energy into projects that were getting pushed to the back burner or I wasn't able to attend to as often as I'd like. Uh, right. You mentioned in the opening that, you know, one of the things I did in the first three weeks of the lockdown mm -hmm. in March was I got together with a writing partner and we finished um, beating out 
the uh, outline for a feature that we've been working on for like six months. And mm. that really for the first three months of this year, because of my schedule, I was unable to do almost any work on. Um, and, and also last year too. I mean, it, it had been like four right. months since we had really sat and down, uh, sat down and had a writer's meeting. So that was one of the, I was like, oh my gosh, we have this time. Why don't we invest it into this? You know, we, when you, right. when there's so many things you can't control, right. I find it really invigorating to focus on that, which you can, and to put energy in that and to, you know, inspire yourself a in absolutely. the things that you can do. Yeah. You, you really triggered, um, my memory of reading, uh, Julia Cameron's, what is she write? Artist, artist way. Right. Artist way, yeah. She had, she had two practices. And I, I think when we talk about this sort of breakneck pace, one of the practices that she mentions, uh, there's, um, the morning pages, which are taking time to just sort of stream of consciousness mm -hmm. empty your mind. And, and that's wonderful. But one of the other ones, and, and, and you made me think of this is the artist's date. And she, she really emphasizes that you have to have time in your life to be able yeah. to be creative. And I think um, one of the things that this sort of global pause has done for us is mm -hmm. for us to realize, mm -hmm. wow, maybe I was pushing myself so hard that I couldn't really release yeah. everything I had in me before. Yeah. When I think when you push your nervous system to the mm -hmm. brink of, you know, that fight or flight response, you know, when, right. you're, when you're kind of living on adrenaline, mm -hmm. you know, I think the best creativity, the, the best creations come from really a state of almost surrender and relaxation, mm. uh, because that's where you're free enough to allow whatever, uh, you know, is most authentic, organic, unedited, you know, uncontrived, uh, to, to emerge, I think. Right. Right. You know, as an artist, like that's maybe like the, the most important state you can get yourself into is that relaxed state where you can actually be receptive to your own creativity or inspiration around you. Right. Yeah. That's, I've been thinking about that a lot in the last couple of years, really. Uh, there's another book, um, uh, that you're reminding me of Twilight Tharp, uh, is a very famous, uh, choreographer mm -hmm. and she yes. has written a couple of books. One, I think it's called the creative habit and another is called the yep. collaborative habit. And in the creative habit, she really talks about the importance of balance of being like, okay, well you have to have the discipline in your art, but you also have to have a life and, and relationships yeah. and you know, all of these yeah. things that, you know, you have to have something to, to, uh, you know, speak about, Draw write about, mm -hmm. dance yeah, exactly. about, you know? <laughs> and, yes. uh, so this uh, whole idea of balance is really resonating with me. Yeah. Very cool. So, so let's back up from 2020 and let, let me, you know, what, what is your backstory? Tell us about your creative upbringing. Did you love to sing or play music or cook or act or, draw oh my gosh, or, yeah. you know, what did you do as a kid? Well, yeah, I, yeah, I, I often, when people ask me about this, I, I respond by saying, uh, if I were to write an autobiography, it would be my life, the cliche, because, you know, I was, uh, the only child of a single mom who loved to entertain her. Huh. We love to make her laugh. You know, we went through a lot when I was, you know, zero to 10. We, we just really did not have a lot of money. We moved around a lot. You know, life was right. not necessarily easy in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and you know, my mom is one of the hardest working, tenacious, courageous women I have ever met. And, and she's mm. resilient, but you know, we went through some stuff. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, the role that I kind of assumed was to, you know, make things better, <laughs> to fix things, right. Uh, right. you know, to entertain, to, you know, and all that stuff. So from a very young age, I remember dancing around my, my favorite song when I was about six or seven was La Bamba by Richie Valens. Oh, and yeah. I had his yeah. I had a, a vinyl, actually, uh, mm-hmm. a vinyl album of Richie Valens that I used to sing to and put on concerts in the living room and, you know, and then I would do impressions and I was obsessed with Robin Williams and, and his movies and, you know, how vivacious and creative he was and how insane he was, you know, it was, mm-hmm. it was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really took after artists like that. And then, you know, but, but I never thought anything of it. Uh, and then in like middle school, I started doing these skits on the morning announcements with my best friend, uh, which kind of, you know, got us to a certain, I guess, level of popularity, but that sure. wasn't really why we were doing it. We were just uh-huh. because we, we were entertaining ourselves really. <laughs> and sort then, of clowning. uh, yeah, we were just clowning. That's it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and honestly, the funny thing is we were actually both, we were both officers in the earth club. <laughs> okay. Uh, what does that we mean? Were, like huge nerds. Well, uh, one of the, one of the teachers at our middle school had started the earth club. Okay. And it was all about, um, you know, science and preserving the earth and the environment and understanding the natural environment and whatever. And she wanted more students to get involved. So she like sent us out on a mission to, you know, uh, go on the morning announcements and recruit. Oh, I see. Yeah. And, um, so that's kind of, that's kind of how it all began. And then in high school, my first year, um, we had the option to either write this 20 or 30 page report on Romeo and Juliet as our uh-huh. final project, or we could right. do a, uh, a media project, they called it, which could include a film, a short film, uh, or multimedia presentation. And so a friend of mine and I got the idea, well, why don't we recreate, you know, in short the, uh, story of Romeo and Juliet. And I ended up playing like seven or eight characters <laughs> right. from the play in that. And then okay. after we showed it, and it was like 20 minutes long, uh-huh. um, after we showed it, my teacher pulled me aside and she's like, have you ever thought about acting? And I was like, what? What's that? Like, what I, I didn't even, yeah. <laughs> I hadn't put two and two together. Right. Um, you know, I hadn't even really thought what I was doing was that it was because I was just mm-hmm. having fun with my friends. Sure. Yeah. You know, which is actually like kind of a, a profound like thing to realize. Because well, that's really the yeah, art that we're that drawn to now, most, right? Don't you yeah, exactly. Want, the it's ideal getting back art to you that. create would be, you know, you're having fun with your friends. <laughs> right? Yeah, you're creating exactly. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And yeah. I think that's what what most um, audiences are drawn to, mm-hmm. is they want to see that. Um, that's what we find most inspiring and connecting. I think. Um, yeah. Well, I think about these uh, like Saturday Night Live uh, alumni who who mm-hmm. have made a career of making movies with their friends from SNL. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, and uh, and you can see you can feel the sort of camaraderie in their work, even though a lot of the movies are silly or, you know, oh, it's yeah. not high art. But yeah. it's uh, but it, but it's it's you know, it's entertaining. And yeah. OK, so you had those early inklings. Uh, how did you mm-hmm. get, you know, from there? How did you arrive at a prof- professional career? I mean, what inspired you? Well, after my high school English teacher, you know, kind of said you should go try out for a school play I did. And I ended up acting in every school play that we had for the rest of my high school career. And, and then from there I went to uh, an acting conservatory in New York. I studied at the New York school of film and television for a year. Then I 
moved back out west and started uh, attending Chapman University's film program because my mom was like, you mm -hmm. can't get a degree in theater. She's like, you can act, you can do whatever you want, but you just, you have to get a degree in something else. So my answer to that was, well, I'll get a degree in filmmaking because that's a whole uh -huh. lot better. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, way more practical. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but my, my thinking Chapman, back the then, Chapman is in Orange County. It's about an hour south of Los Angeles. I see. It's okay. right, ne right next door to Disneyland. Um, and it's, it's a small private college. Uh, well, not so small anymore, but at the time... Chapman was was a and, and is still a very prominent film school. It's probably in the top five or ten film schools in the U.S. You know, you have UCLA mm -hmm. and USC. Right. Um, you have Northwestern. You have NYU. And Chapman's mm -hmm. probably like five or six on the list. But it's it's honestly it's become a really, really phenomenal program. And it was it was highly immersive. You know, basically you show up the first semester and they shove a camera in your hand and it was like, go make something. So right. I really liked that. Mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. for the rest of my college career, I basically got away from acting because I was so focused on learning how to produce films and, and cinematography. That, that was my dual major. And, uh -huh. um, okay. you know, and just, you know, enjoying college life and, you know, living, like you said, so, right? Yeah, yeah. You st so you studied production and cinematography? Yes. Producing wow. and cinematography. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because I yeah. finished I finished my cinematography credits pretty early because I was just so hungry to learn about that art mm -hmm. form, um, uh -huh. and I had such a respect for it. But then I had like a semester and a half left, uh, and I was like, "Well, what else could I do?" And I was I did the math on my credits, and I was like, "Well, I could I could actually do a whole other major and complete all of the producing requirements as well." Oh, excellent! Um, yeah, and, and did you finish that? You know, Oh, yeah, awesome. that was an amazing, yeah. that was an amazing, I think I was a part of 26 films. Uh, last, the last that I counted, I was a part of about 26 different films in my three years at Chapman. <laughs> That's amazing. So, so you, was, you know, I think of, cool. uh, Robert Rodriguez, you know, uh, he, in his 10 minute film school, he talks about, um, you know, th that the, the way to get good is to make films, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. you, you know, he's, yeah. he, I remember him saying, uh, you've got some bad films in you, so make them now, mm. you know, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that you can make good films later, you know? Uh, yep. uh, and so I love that. I actually was just, watching, you know, crank um, them out. oh yeah. It, it, it reminds me of something I saw in the history of the Eagles, the documentary about the Eagles. Sure. Um, uh, Glenn Fry was basically an apprentice with Bob Seeger back in the day. Really? And yep, uh, back in Detroit they met, which is where uh, Glenn Fry is from. Hmm. And when he was first learning how to write songs, uh, Glenn said to Bob Seeger, you know, what if I write a bad one? And Bob's response was, oh, you, you'll write many bad ones, but <laughs> you just got to keep writing and eventually mm -hmm. you'll get good. Right. And that's right. true of any art. There's no way to skip the bad ones. Yeah. Nope. You <laughs> yeah. got to put in your 10,000 hours. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. So after Chapman, how did you get from there, from your, you know, academic study to, um, to the point where you were, you know, you're described as having many income mm -hmm. streams, but you know, where you have, um, some semblance of a, yeah. of a professional career where you feel like this is my main gig. Well, after I graduated from film school, 
I was pretty disillusioned. I was pretty over film. And I was, you know, as many students in this country uh, do, I had, you know, almost $90,000 in student loan mm-hmm. debt from, you know, going to school for so long. Which is psychologically oppressive. It's, it's, oh my God. I, that, that, absolutely. That's a hundred percent accurate. And, um, I kind of just, I didn't realize this at the time, but I kind of just wanted to get away. I kind of wanted to Mm -hmm. run away. So I refer to the next couple of years of my life as my time in the desert. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, I took a job up in Ashland, Oregon, Mm -hmm. uh, working for an author where we met. Uh Yeah. Yeah. And uh, working for uh, several authors, actually. But the reason I kind of landed in Ashland, Oregon, was um, I had been reading books um, by Neil Donald Walsh called Conversations with God, and his organization was based up there. And I was Mm -hmm. interested in kind of connecting with him and and doing some work with him up there. And um, so I moved up there. That's what got me to uh, Ashland. Right. And um, I worked with... Uh, another guy named James Twyman for a while. I worked with uh, the formidable Gene Houston for a while. Right. Um, and during this time up in Ashland, I went through like the the most horrific heartbreak that I've ever experienced in my mm. life. Mm. And as I think many, um, many heartbreaks do, they kind of have a way of showing you to yourself. Mm. And I, my, my takeaway, my key takeaway after that relationship ended was that I had really nothing to show for my life that I cared about. I had made my whole life about that relationship. That was like, and I was like, Oh my God, this is the only thing that I had. What am I about? What do I want? You know? And a couple of my experiences up there had also really led me to the clarity of like, I, this is not my path. I don't, you know, I, I'm not interested in being, a spiritual author, although I am a spiritual person. Um, I I really thrive in a creative profession. I don't want to sit behind a desk. I don't Mm. want to be relegated to an office. I, I really don't even want to be working for somebody else's vision. Right. I have a vision for my own life and I want to go out and I want to pursue that. And so, you know, I started thinking, about what that was. And I remember going to see the Julie Taymor film across the universe. Um, okay. Right. This the, was the Beatles in 2000 thing. and I think this was late 2007 when it came out and yeah, the Beatles movie. And I was just so in awe, um, and inspired and moved. And I was like, yeah, well that's it dummy. Like, of course <laughs> that's it. You know, that's always been yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you got to stop being afraid of it. You know, that, right. that was the thing that I uncovered was I was so afraid mm. of that because I was afraid of failing. I was afraid of being, of looking foolish. I was afraid of not being any good. Right. I was afraid of all of these things. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think anytime you really say yes to your purpose, you are also saying yes to confronting your deepest fears. Mm. And a lot of people don't talk about that because most and especially I think maybe this is maybe more true in acting, but I think it's true of all art forms. When you say yes to, uh, basically you as the, the product, it is incredibly vulnerable, right? Because right. if I'm, yeah. if I'm on a TV show and even though I'm playing a character named Brad, 
that's not what is written about in the trades. If, <laughs> it's not you know, about Brad. If someone doesn't yeah. like my performance, they don't go, well, you know, that was just Brad. They go, no, no, well, Philip Daniel sucked in that show because that's mm. my face. Even though we right. have the, uh, you know, the suspension of disbelief, that, that goes away as soon as the show's over. They go, well, I didn't really buy that. You know, I didn't think that was a compelling performance or I thought that was this was forced or whatever the case may be. So it's right. very vulnerable. And you have got to do a lot of work on yourself, on your fears, on your limiting thoughts and beliefs and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. I, I really very rarely hear any professional artist talk about that. There's mm-hmm. a lot of talk about the craft, which is 100% necessary. Right. That's your tool. That's your tool chest. You have to work right. on your craft. Your instrument. And yeah. you have to work on that. But a part of you accessing your craft is getting past and through your fears. Mm. And I that's the part that I think that a lot of people miss. They, if you are not actively growing as a human being, uncovering the trauma that you have from your past, and uh, spoiler alert, we all have trauma. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and, and understanding your point of view as a human being mm-hmm. and all the experiences that have shaped that, how can you expect to understand a character's point of view and experiences if you're not doing that work? Right. So yeah, it, it's, it's the richness of our own lives that enables us to, to bring that yeah. richness to a character. Yeah. 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 Yep. So, you know, uh, one of my memories of when you were living in, in Ashland is the the your going away party, actually, when you were headed back down to L.A. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I remember having this conversation with you. You were inspired. You were like on fire, ready to go back and do whatever it, you know, yeah. uh, took. And, I, and I, I remember we had a similar conversation where you were saying, you know, uh, part of me is afraid, you know, because I'm you know, putting myself oh, out yeah. there doing the thing that I love to do. And, and I remember uh, having that discussion and saying, you know, like, well, what does failure mm-hmm. mean you know what is the nature of failure like if you're doing your purpose mm-hmm. you know, and it's been so inspiring mm-hmm. watching you know all the things that you've done in the years that have elapsed since then and being like wow yeah. you just grabbed the tiger by the tail or whatever they whatever they call it well you know? honestly I, I i think i would have answered that question differently back then mm-hmm. you know uh i don't know that i would have had the same answer to what does failure mean you right. know um you know, thankfully, I've been surrounded by a lot of really supportive, encouraging people and ideas. Right. And I've, you know, I've been hungry to kind of uncover, you know, what's what goes on inside and what, right. you know, what what is failure? You know, um, I think it was um, I think it was Steve Jobs who said, if you want to be successful, double your failure rate. <laughs> and I read that a couple of years <laughs> in to being down uh, in LA, you know, and, and yeah. really, if you look at any successful person in any industry, you know, they are, they are going out there and trying to fail because honestly, failure is where you learn the most. Right. If you, if you set your ego aside, <laughs> if you, sure. if you try not to take the failure personally, but look mm-hmm. at it as a learning experience, uh, that's really where you have the most benefit. Absolutely. Yeah. That really resonates with me. I want to talk a little bit about you've got so you've, you've you know you've been on some TV shows. You've got a band. Yeah. You've got um, uh, you've got a lot of things going. You've written for uh, you know videos that have gone viral, and you've done all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk to a little bit about your your daily practices. Um, how do you 
how do you care for, you know, I always refer to, to it as your instrument, you know, your, your, mm-hmm. yourself, you know, how do you care for your, for your, your, your artist, <laughs> you know, are the things that you yeah. do to keep your career moving forward, to keep your skills tight, to, uh, you know, um, to, to hone your craft. I have a diverse, uh, number of interests. I mean, I, I, I love to write. I love to perform. I love to break down a scene. I re- actually really enjoy coaching um, actor friends on their scenes and their auditions. Um, mm-hmm. I love learning new things. I love, you know, reading or listening to audiobooks. Um, I love, you know, watching TV. I love building stuff. Um, so I would say, if anything, my my most consistent practice is staying active. Mm. I, you know, I'm always moving in some way or another. I always have another project, whether it be building a shelf for my house or uh, a new music video for the band or a feature script or uh, recording a song for, you know, with a producer friend of mine, you know, or working on my truck or whatever, mm. you know, like, or learning how to ride them a couple of years ago. I was like, you know, uh, about three or four years ago, I'm like, you know what? Every year I want to learn a new skill or do something I've never done before. Okay. And so the first year I went out and I got a motorcycle license because I always wanted to do that. And, um, you know, and that, that kind of like, it's kind of summarized, uh, a little bit of my philosophy. I'm not a, I'm not, um, you know, someone who's like, uh, addicted to adrenaline, Okay. but I'm, I do enjoy, uh, pushing through fear and, you know, mm. there's like, there's like this experience of life that's like just past the threshold of fear, Uh huh. you know, okay. that's different right. than just the comfortable experience of life. Sure. And so, sure. um, uh, you know, but I also like to do things in style. So I went out and I got a 65 BMW R50 slash two and, you know, and, th- and that's great that because is. it's not, a, it's, it's a classic, it's a classic, it's a rare classic motorcycle and inc- okay. increasingly more rare, but it doesn't go that fast. It's just mm-hmm. a nice cruiser. Right. And, um, you know, and, and it's kind of meditative. Of, of motorcycles that SoCal is, is the perfect place to, to ride around. It, it is, especially now. Honestly, mm. it can be a little nerve wracking. I really don't like riding yeah. in traffic very much. Right. Um, and it's not a commuter bike. It's, it's a, right. you know, a recreational bike for me, but, uh-huh. sure. um, but I'll tell you since the lockdown and the pandemic, uh, there has never been a better time to have a motorcycle in Los Angeles because mm. you can, yeah, you just get out and you don't have to worry as much. You do have to worry because people be crazy, you have but, to stay vigilant. um, yeah. Yeah. You have to stay vigilant always. That's kind of part of the fun in a way. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah. but you can get out there and you can, you know, do your thing. And it's really wonderful. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that you said, uh, uh, the fact that you see building a shelf and uh, writing a, yeah. a, 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 you know, script in the same mm-hmm. vein really resonates with me. Because I think anytime we're, we're, we're you know, bringing something into being, it's yeah. creative work. And if we do it with a spirit yes. of... In exploration and a spirit of I'm adding something beautiful to the world or I'm fixing something or I'm serving somebody in some way, whether that's literally uh, a creative art or, you know, building yeah. a shelf, uh, it, it's a similar process. And there's a, there's a connection there that I resonate with. And I really appreciate you, you bringing yeah. those two things together. 
let's talk a little bit about your your current projects. So, um, what are you currently working on? You know, do you have something mm-hmm. you want to mm-hmm. pitch to us of what you're what you're working on right now? Well, right now, I'd say that creatively, the biggest creative outlet right now is my band Yachtly Crew. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we haven't been able to play any shows since March, uh, but we have stayed really active with putting out. Uh, videos uh, covering songs that we have never done before. And you've got some really fantastic, yeah, like news coverage. Yeah, yeah, we have. Um, so one of the songs that I've always wanted to add to our set list, which we just never have, um, is Just the Way You Are by Billy Joel. Um, mm-hmm. Old old fan of Billy Joel. Love him. Love his mm-hmm. work. Right. So I pitched it to the guys a couple of months ago when we were talking about what songs we want to do. And everyone was like, yeah, that's cool. Let's do it. And we had we had basically just been recording a couple of videos prior to that where we're all taping ourselves in our home studio. And, you know, okay. it was fine. It was good. We wanted to put stuff out. We wanted There's to do a lot it of that quickly. going around right now. Yeah. But visually, it really starts to lack, you know, interest. <laughs> it's like, mm, okay. Uh, okay, yeah. we've seen yeah. this before, right? Right. Exactly. Um, we've, we've seen a lot of this in the last two months. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. we really, you know, I was talking with the guys and we were like, yeah, let's do something different. And I was like, well... I, what about what if I went out and I filmed at, you know, if I filmed these like landmarks in Los mm-hmm. Angeles? I mean, no one is out right now. No right. one. And this was back in April. And I was like, you know, nobody's out on the town right now because so much, you know, of it was we were in like full lockdown. You know, now no, no one seems to care anymore. But, you know, back then, <laughs> a couple months ago, people were like, yeah, we're actually taking this seriously like we should be and staying inside. And so, um what we ended up doing for that song was going around to iconic LA landmarks with each band member. Um, by the way, right. we were socially distant wearing masks the whole time. <laughs> um, we yeah. were able to make this incredible video that showcased LA and we kind right. of made it as a love letter to the city. I mean, I've lived yeah. in LA for 12 years. It's home. Yeah. I love it here. It's a very, very special place. It gets a bad rap. Uh, but honestly, if you've spent any amount of time in LA and you've really learned the history and the lay of the land and the neighborhoods, it's mm-hmm, impossible mm-hmm. to not fall in love with this place. Right. I mean, like any place it has its problems. Right. But right. it's an incredibly I, special place. It really is. I was so, uh, you know, one of the things that really touched me was with the shot you, uh, of you in front of the, uh, in front of Disney hall, which is a spectacular yeah. piece of architecture and such an icon yes, of is. LA and, um, yep. means a lot to me. You know, LA is such a, uh, f- fabulous uh, set of incongruous ideas, you know, sort of all wrapped into one. I oh yeah, um, I absolutely love it. I find it my favorite city, but it's also in some ways, you know, phantasmagoric. It's it's horrific, you know, <laughs> in so many ways. But it's also so beautiful and so full of uh, life and every kind of humanity. Um, yes, and every kind of creative expression, which is uh, which is you know why people have gone there for so many uh, generations now. Yeah. 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 So, so you got, so you made this video and they picked it up on, on the local uh, channel. Yeah. Yeah. We were, uh, we were shocked and (laughs) impressed and excited that we were able to uh, get some news coverage. KUSI um, Mm -hmm. down in San Diego, uh, who's been very, very good to us. Um, we've been on their morning show a couple of times now. They picked it up and they ran it. They actually interviewed me live via zoom. Uh Um, and, and then also, uh, uh, an affiliate here in, in Los Angeles ran it. 
And man, it was it was really awesome. It was really awesome. Has that um, opened doors? And, Have you and, gotten calls from that? You know, um, I, I, I don't know that I can say directly that it has, mm-hmm. but our goal was really just, we just wanted to share this with people. You know, we made yeah, it, we wanted, yeah. you know, and especially in a time like where we all find ourselves collectively in, mm-hmm. um, we just wanted to inspire people. We wanted to give people some hope. We wanted to remind them of something good. And, yeah. you know, that's really what it was about. Yeah. And I think that's what all my art is about, really, you know. Yeah, yeah. Philip, it's fantastic to talk to you. Uh, thank you so much for uh, sharing your your experiences on our podcast. And uh, Oh, my gosh, it's been amazing. Yeah. Thank you, know, you I, and good I, luck to you. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, every time I see your face on TV or, you know, <laughs> see a new video or, you know, whatever you're up to, I'm just, it's inspiring. So uh, I'm really uh, thank you. so pleased to, to, to have you um, to speak to us about it. So thank you so much. Thank and you so much, Robert. I appreciate it. Do you have any uh, parting thoughts? Any, any, uh, any, anything you want to share? Yeah, I would just say to anyone listening who is considering any pursuit of their art, go for it. Do it unabashedly, unapologetically. You don't need anybody else's approval. And when you are 80 or 90 or 110 on your deathbed looking back, you can look back on a life where you gave what you came into this life to give, Mm. which is something that no one else can do. And you owe it to yourself and you owe it to the world, frankly, to dedicate your life to giving what literally no other person can to creating what no one else can. You have a unique perspective, um, and work through whatever fears, whatever limitations you think you might have. And I promise you do, uh, work through them (laughs) so that, so that the world can benefit and so that you can live an extraordinary life. Thank you, Philip. You bet. My pleasure, bud. (laughs) I appreciate it. You guys have a great day and be well, stay safe, and wear a mask. Be well. (laughs) Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. The 52 Sketches podcast is a product of 52 Sketches, makers of earlywords.io, daily, private, stream of consciousness writing to clear your mind and unlock your creativity.